Budgeting your time for large projects and audio posts. We're gonna talk about stereo, 5.1 and Atmos. Here we go. All right, welcome back everyone. Thanks for being here. Uh, this is the lazily named Adam Claremont podcast and I'm your host, Adam Claremont. We're going to discuss uh, growing your career, increasing your revenue, finding that work-life balance and giving back and sharing with those that are also in the industry and all of this within the audio creative space. So before we begin, I'd like to offer you a free gift. Uh, I've put together tips and tricks that help increase your productivity and workflow. Uh, these are things that I've brought through and, and carried into my career and have helped me tremendously. And I know they can bring you a lot of value and I know they'll work for you. So please head over to adamclaremont.com workflow and you can pick up your free PDF guide whenever you're ready. So that's all for that. Let's get on to the show. I would love to introduce you to our guest. His name is Nathaniel Reichman. He's a Grammy-nominated producer and mixer working out of Dubway Studios in New York City. He works extensively in television, film, advertising, and classical music. A small sampling of his credits and clients would include uh, Philip Glass, Bubble Guppies, Whoopi Goldberg, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Blues Clues, Death Wish Coffee, which I just finished a cup of, John Luther Adams, uh, Comedy Warriors. I, I, there's a long list. Um, NathanielRichman.com if you'd like to learn more there. So, Nathaniel, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today, buddy. No, it's a pleasure, Adam. I'm really glad you're doing this. It's great. Yeah. So I know you had a really busy schedule this week. You've always been super generous with your time, so you, you fit this in. Um, you were just telling me that you were on a project with a tight deadline. Uh, I believe it was just earlier today or yesterday. You want to tell us about what you're working on? Um, yeah. You know, um, the bread and butter of a lot of things I do kind of week to week is working in television. And I'm mixing a television show for um, WGBH in Boston. Hmm. And uh, given the date of this recording, we're really fortunate that that uh, all the um, all the shooting on this television show is completed before the lockdown. So oh, cool. we're all in post production mode right now. So I'm working with a video editor. I'm working with a color correction person and the broadcast person, and we can all work remotely. And it seems to be seems to be working fine. So yeah. about once a week, I, I mix an entire episode and send it off to them. So. That's good. That's good. Keeps yeah. you, keeps your schedule filled, right? And once a week, that's good. exactly exactly. Yeah, that's that's the battle. Hey, so I have a question about that, actually. So, you know, I know you do a ton with television and film and those typically probably more so than, you know, the niches like voiceover or audiobooks. There's some pretty large teams involved, right, with those projects. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got dialogue editors, you've got, you know, producers, you've got executive producers, you've got uh, sound supervisors. Do you want to talk a little bit about like the team atmosphere and like the pecking order, who's involved, and how that contributes, ideally contributes, right, to the quality of the work when you've got everybody involved like that instead of just working in a silo? Yeah, I think, um, and I, I want to make sure before I describe a certain structure that everyone knows that it's scalable. Right, that yeah. You can go to a larger project and have a lot more people, and you can go to a smaller project and have many fewer people, and that's okay to be kind of in that, in that framework. But if I go back and I look at... Um, uh, so Dubway uh, mixed a series for Nickelodeon not too long ago, and it was a kind of a medium-sized structure, a number of people, and I really like that workflow. So I can describe it there. And um, you know, just to be clear, a lot of these companies are contracted for certain services. 
right? So our job on this particular television show was to record. It was animated, so we, we were there to record all the dialogue. Uh, we were there to work with the composer, and we were there to do sound design, all the music editing, all the dialogue editing, and then the final broadcast mix, right? And I was really fortunate because it was a good medium-sized team. It wasn't so big that I got lost, but it was small enough that I had a lot of support to work um, really quickly, right? Good. So it was a complex complex television show, and we managed to put out about an episode every two weeks. And I had a dialogue editor who would feed me tracks. Um, I had a sound effects editor who would spend a few days getting into the show before I got to it. Um, and then I had a music editor who was working next to the composer. And so uh, right when I got to the point of assembling a show to get a sense of all the elements that were going into this half hour of television, it was three different Pro Tools sessions. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be Pro Tools. That was our tool of choice. And I would merge all those sessions and spend about a day scratching my head thinking about how they all sort of fit together, you know. Um, and, you know, I think this is true for everything I've worked on in the last decade, which is that our clients don't have a whole lot of time. So the the... The job is always to try to bring something up to a really high level of polish before sharing it with the clients for the first time. Right, yeah. And on, on this show, um, we, I would, we would get to that point where we thought, this is pretty good. We're going to share it, and they're going to review it remotely. And then my favorite thing to do, and this is a really sad thing to talk about during, uh, during our current lockdown, my favorite thing to do is to spend an entire day with a client in the studio, you know, working on a single episode, uh, with the pressure that you have to deliver that episode by the end of the day. Right. Yeah. It's really satisfying things well, to deadlines do. are great. Creative input. <laughs> deadlines so really like there's some some magic mojo just by giving something a deadline, right? I mean things start to oh, happen. Absolutely. You're right? <laughs> no, absolutely. If if you know if you're sitting there at ten AM and you know that you have to start uploading files at seven PM, uh, then it really focuses you creatively. You're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> What yeah. matters? What? Yeah. yeah. Are we gonna spend exactly. an hour yeah. on that one detail today or you know, can we yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's as good as that's ever going to get. But over here, we can spend a couple hours doing that, and we can really improve that. Yeah. Um, so to give you the structure, uh, in this in this show, the owner of Dubway acted as the sound supervisor because he was kind of the, the ringmaster. And then we had three audio editors. I was the mixer. Uh, there was a composer, some additional songwriters, and then, of course, all the actors right, yeah. doing all their dialogue. Um, but that was a good-sized team. We, we could work really well. We could work quickly, but it wasn't so large that I felt like things were out of control. Hmm. You know, um, this show that I was doing this week is is a whole lot smaller, where the uh, you know there isn't a dedicated music editor, right? And um, I do dialogue editing and mixing, hmm. right? Which is which is completely fine. I don't mind doing that, but it's great to be able to to spread out those jobs so that people can specialize. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, so if you are uh, wearing all the hats for a project like you just mentioned, yeah. um, what are the pros of that? Like, I mean, so, sometimes I worry with my own work that, you know, when you start to know where all the skeletons are buried, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. like I mentioned before, you start to like spend all this time on these little details because you know there is a problem here. And more than likely, if you do your job right, 99% of the people won't even notice that's a problem. You did it, but you're still, you, like I said, you you know that like, there is a problem there. And So do you ever get like hung up like that because you know those issues? Or is it nicer just like have this fresh session come to you and you can just make it sound pristine? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I intentionally, if I have to do a lot of jobs myself, I intentionally try to put on different hats. So I'll say, okay, I'm going to work three or four hours now before lunch and I'm only going to do dialogue editing and nothing else. 
right? Good. That way I can be really zeroed in on that. <clears throat> and then the next morning, put all that away and say, okay, I'm going to mix this thing. And I'm going to mix this in broad passes. So rather than being super focused on certain dialogue lines and cleaning up certain things, I'm actually going to listen to an entire scene. What does that seven-minute sequence sound like? You know, um, But it's like um, working when you collaborate with somebody, um, if you're working alone, there's a danger that you're going to lose the forest from the trees. Right? That's, yeah. a, that's a really serious danger. Yeah. And that's what's great about working with somebody. <clears throat> you show them the work and say, I can say, Adam, hey, check, check out this thing. And you'll see the big picture better than I will. Yeah. You know, uh, so there's no easy answer to to working alone and doing all those jobs yourself, except <laughs> except to take a break and come back to it the next morning with fresh ears. You know, and a well, fresh I think brand. I think you gave great <laughs> advice there. I mean, if you can yeah. really be disciplined and say, you know, I've got this much time budgeted for this project. You know, my deadline is here. I need to I need to have yeah. everything done here. And you know, given the experience you've got, you know about how long it takes you to do certain tasks. If you can say. I'm going to budget this much time. It's going to happen at this time right. of day, on this day or these days, and then you move on, you know, just as if you were the dialogue editor and it's out of your hands at that point anyway, giving it to the next person. Right. It's, it's probably really efficient and a great process to not, I mean, you can always go back if you have to, I suppose, but to have the discipline to say, there's more to do here. This has to get done. I'm the one that's got to get it done. So if I schedule myself and don't backtrack, then I know I'll get it done and it will be well, uh, you know, well received, ideally from the client. And again, you're not, the, you know, losing the forest and the trees. You're not getting caught up in those tiny details where those skeletons are buried. Yeah. Because you said, okay, I got it to where I think it's great. I'm I'm done, moving on. And right. you know, this this is also, and this this comes. This is really hard to get, but I think it's really important in the creative industry. Um, is to know how long it takes to do something. And you know yeah. we've all been there when you're younger and you're starting out and you're in college or you're out of college and you're in 20s and you're like, I can edit this thing. And then you're up all night long, two nights in a row on the weekend trying to figure this thing out. And you realize that what you thought was going to take a day is going to take a week, right? Yeah. You know? And, and <laughs> every, been everybody's been I've there. absolutely we've all been, been there. <laughs> Heart yeah, attack city. <laughs> every, every creative professional that I've met <clears throat> from – from people who are composers to songwriters to people who don't color correct or do video, the more experienced they are, the better they can tell you, okay, I'm going to do this. It's going to take me three days and then I'll have this for you. Right. Yeah. And even now, <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm, I'm not all that experienced, but even now, you know, somebody will ask me for an estimate uh, and, and you have to look at that time money vector really, really clearly and be really honest with yourself. You know, you're not going to get that whole thing done in six hours, right? That's just impossible. You know, right. let's, let's, let's well, now you're about talking about managing expectations, right. too, with your client, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's always... Um, that's a whole um, other thing, right? But That's a whole other thing, exactly. And you want to you be really open um, with the workflow with a client uh, and not cheat yourself, but, you know, also get what you deserve. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I remember uh, the first time that I was uh, working on an audiobook. Um, you know, audiobooks face value, they seem pretty straightforward. You know, we brought in our talent, we recorded them, and then I needed to edit this thing. And I think it was, it's probably like a 20 to 30 hour long audiobook we did. So yeah. uh, we were, uh, you know, I had a team with me, and, you know, I estimated how long it would take, you know, me to edit and extrapolated that out to the team. And well, it took me longer, and it took them, 
much longer. And next thing I knew, we I think we came in something like $100 under budget. <laughs> that, that was not anywhere near the number that we were anticipating at the beginning of this project. There was yeah. there should have been a zero or two added to that. Um, yeah. But you know what? You know, you live, you learn. Um, experience is everything. You know, going through it is everything. You know, the bigger the mistake, the better you remember. So I, I know pretty clearly now how long it takes to do those things. But, you know, you're going to take your lumps along the way. <laughs> yeah, there's something really um, – uh, so just put this in context. You know, we're talking about creative projects and media. Um, I've worked on a lot of pilots for te- television shows. And those are really special because you, you never – that's where everybody needs to experiment. That's yeah. where you need to waste a lot of time going down pathways that are not going to work out. Right and and trying things that that are ultimately going to fail, or trying ten different versions of something to see what flies. Mm. And so, yeah, I'm not exaggerating. We've worked on pilots for for a single episode of a TV show, and the pilot took months to make. Right, really, because we were trying out so many different things. So that and and then that, and that points to something else too, which is really hard, which is that making any art involves throwing a lot of things away. So how do you right. how do you bring a creative team around you when you need to experiment? And I'm working on a project right now um, with Lincoln Center where uh, it's just an experiment. It's just in the demo phase. It's very much a pilot phase, but it's about how to take some of their live events and have a different interactive experience with some of the live events that have been recorded in the past and kind of repurpose them. Awesome. Right. And we're totally in the pilot phase for that right now. And what I thought was going to be a couple of weeks of experimentation will probably be all summer. You know, <laughs> now we're not working on it. We're not working on it every day of the summer. But right. every time I have a little free time, I'll say, "Oh, I should check that out." Oh, yeah, there are a couple of things to figure out. And then the the way that we take all that we're talking about and turn it into a job or a career is to then contain it and say, "Okay, now I know how to do it, and I can make a bunch of them." <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, well, how fortunate, how, how fun to be in a, a position with a project where you can just be um, that instrumental in the creative. Because let, let's be honest, I mean, plenty of uh, niches within audio, um, specifically engineers. Yeah, we are definitely contributing creatively. But I think what you're talking about is you're really talking about like fundamental uh, core parts of a creative concept. You know, you're really in the trenches about, you know, this is akin to writing a script, it sounds like, you know, I mean, if you're if you're that deep and creative and trying all that stuff within a pilot, that's 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 awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it can also be a stressful place to be. You know, there was one project um, where it wasn't clear to me if I was actually going to win the sound design component of the project. Oh, yeah. The pilot phase, we were trying out a lot of different things and I, I made. It was, it was a really, really important sound effect sequence that was going to recur in every episode of this TV show. It was going to be a real signature. I mean, I hate to use that. It's such a, it's such a cliche in our industry. There's a signature sound, but it was really yeah. true. It was a signature sound. <laughs> and um, I'm, I made, I recorded a gazillion different things and tried a gazillion different things. And I, I made probably 12 or 15 really solid different demos of how that sequence would sound. And the first 10, the client didn't buy. They, they didn't love it. You know, and and so I thought, oh, I'm I'm in danger of losing this. You know, so it got a little bit stressful, and then I hit upon the right combination of things. I got it, locked it down, works out. Yeah. Fine, you know, yeah. It took it took a while to 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 discover that. I think I think everybody who's creative goes through that process. And that's uh, that's funny you yeah. mentioned that because quite literally about an hour before we began this uh, taping, I was in a meeting 
and we are presenting some sonic branding to a, a company. Yep. <laughs> and this is, yep. I think, uh, this is our second meeting. We've got at least two more to go before we nail it down. But talk about subjectivity. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, talking like a signature sound or, or a sonic brand, you know, and for those that aren't familiar with sonic brand, you know, you think like, bum, 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 and get your NBC logo. You know, these things are... Yeah. These things are iconic. They're completely directly related to a brand, totally associated. You cannot take one without the other. Um, yep. You know, it's like uh, your visual logo. It's the same thing, right? And uh, but when but when you just think about that for a moment, creating something from nothing, there isn't even literally a tangible thing here, like a, a physical logo. It could. What does a company sound like? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah. What? What yeah. a. What a, a ethereal concept, but, you know, but, but, but you've where, got to figure that out and have those discussions. And then when you think you put your heart and soul into it and you go, here's, you know, all of these different options, they go, no, 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 about that quickly <laughs> because yeah. they're short. It's just like, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's one of the hardest things to do, especially if you're talking about a series now that you're, you know, you're describing. Liver yeah, dies I mean, by this well, thing. What we're talking about right now is where producers really earn their money because they're the ones who are supposed to give us the creative guardrails to say it's going to, whatever we succeed with is going to be something like this and give you an area of exploration. Yeah. Right. Um, there's another example and I, I, I wish I had all these examples, but I'm not even sure it would be legal to, legal to share them. But um, Rumba is the children's media company, which is a part of Dubway. Okay. And um, uh, Rumba was competing for the theme song for a television show. And the producers in the television show said, okay, the theme song has to include these three instruments and the lyrics have to accomplish these two things. Hmm. And, and we were competing with a number of other songwriters, you know, from around the world who all wanted to win that theme song. And hearing all, you know, 12 submissions of, of a, a song that was, you know, 90 seconds long, included those instruments and had those lyrics, right? Mm. And everybody, those are the guardrails, right? Those are the, those are the creative things you have to hit. And, and then how everybody solved that problem and how they achieved it and how they made something catchy, it was absolutely, it was utterly fascinating. You know? mm. and it's, it's, a, it's a weird mix of commerce and creativity because it was competitive. Whoever won that was, was going to get more royalties, you know, and win that contract, and and whoever lost it was going to lose it after putting in a lot of work. <laughs> so, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Working on uh, spec at I, a very I, high level. The older <laughs> I get, especially when I work in advertising, um, the older I get, the more respect I have for producers. Uh, when I was younger, I always thought, well, the producer isn't doing anything, right? The uh, producer yeah. is not the graphic <laughs> artist. The producer is not the painter, not the video person, not the cinematographer, not the actor. But no, actually, the producer is the one who. Um, is responsible for everything that went wrong during the no, day. Kidding. Yeah. It's your safety <laughs> right. blanket right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so now when I, when I work in advertising now, I, I have tremendous respect for good producers because uh, they're the interface between a client and what they need and the artists and what are the artists going to do. Right. Yeah. And that's true even when you're not working in things that are strictly commercial. You know, when you, even that's, that's true when, you know, uh, many classical music projects I've worked on, the producer needs to sit in that seat and say, okay, we're doing this, but will the record label actually want to release what we're doing? Right? Yeah. Why and why not? You know? And whose responsibility is it? That person right there, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, you want to talk about stress. Yeah.
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're just making yeah. noise. <laughs> I got a budget to exactly. reconcile. That's yeah. funny. So yeah. talk a little bit about what's behind you. Um, you're not at Doorway oh, yeah. right now. <laughs> no. You're home. I'm actually yeah. in my home studio. It's actually my guest bedroom because who needs those right now? We're in the middle of a pandemic here at the time of this taping. Maybe not the middle. I think we're coming out of it, but, um, you know, we're all quarantined still. So, you know, and in front of me, I've got you know, a lot of the stuff that I took from, from my studio. And Nathaniel, you've got a, a beautiful spot right in your home. Um, but uh, I think maybe you're doing a little bit of upgrading in your place uh, behind yeah, you. Is that right? I, I um, you know, without going too far into the weeds, um, <laughs> I... <laughs> Oh, no, go. <laughs> I mean, this studio has been a long time coming, you know. Yeah. It, it, my, this studio was in my extra bedroom in Queens for a long time, and, and I had little, you know, $300 speakers and, you know, junky old computer. Um, but um, a number of years ago, I moved up to um, 5.1 uh, surround sound because I was spending a lot of time developing projects in stereo and then having to move them to a 5.1 studio to finish them. And um, uh, a few years ago... Uh, when Dolby Atmos was making the transition kind of out of the high-end film world and into the rest of the world, uh, you know, my colleagues and I started looking at that and realized whether or not it was going to be Dolby, it was going to be somebody that we were going to go into. Um, there's this new uh, buzzword in the industry, immersive audio. Right. And, and immersive audio really means audio that is in three dimensions because, you know, stereo in 5.1 happen on a plane. So if you look behind me, the speakers behind me are all happening kind of on a two-dimensional plane. There's sound in front of you and there's sound behind you. And immersive audio will put speakers above you. So that's what I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of doing. And I, I always wanted to upgrade this room to immersive, but I never needed to because I thought, well, I can just work at the nice studio in Manhattan. But now with the lockdown, I can't. Can't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, so this weekend or, or next, I'm going to hang some additional speakers and and hopefully not kill myself uh, bolting things into the ceiling. So yeah, we'll we'll pray uh, for you. <laughs> yeah. And and it's also it's tricky to say this because um, not everybody's going to have this experience at home, but immersive audio really is different. The experience really is different. It's worth the extra effort. And I've done a number of immersive audio projects now. Uh, and each time it's been so satisfying that the additional technical headache has been worthwhile yeah. You know? do, yeah do you do you mind describing a little bit of that process because it, it's so new i'm pretty sure that there's a lot of people who aren't familiar but there's a lot of confusion about object-based audio right and how that relates yeah. to immersive sound and and how 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 sound is actually any different in an immersive space than a surround sound space i'm going to preface this because a lot of what i'm going to say i'm going to use the word dolby which is a commercial company but these right. concepts don't apply just to dolby you know there's dtsx there's ro3d um, the uh, Fraunhofer has a proprietary system. I think they're using DTSX. Uh, so there's, there are different competing visions of how this is going to work. Right. And there's also a new file format, which is a generic uh, open source file format for containing this information. So you can use Dolby Atmos to create this generic immersive experience and it doesn't, doesn't have to be branded Dolby anymore. That's so um, huge, too. Yeah, it's a big yeah. deal. Uh, yeah. That's the ADM uh, file format. Um, uh, so... Um, so for listeners and people who work in audio, um, when you've got two speakers, right, and you pan a sound between them, you're, you're panning just between those two speakers and you're assigning those speakers. So you're saying, I'm going to go more to the right speaker, I'm going to go more to the left, and I'm going to pan between them and that's it. And then in 5.1, you're still doing the same thing. You're just panning in a circle around you, right? I'm going to pan to that speaker. And, um, and Dolby's thought process was, well, we can just keep adding speakers. We have 7.1 and we can go to 9.1 and they'll all be channel-based formats. 
And, um, and what I mean by channel base is that you're still panning to a location. I'm panning to that speaker over there and to that speaker over there. Right. And um, the benefit of immersive is that you're not panning to speakers. You have a three-dimensional box, a three-dimensional world that you're living in, and you're panning to a virtual location. And that's where you're, that's where you're sending your sound to. Mm-hmm. And then on the playback system, it doesn't matter how many speakers you have for Dolby Atmos. You can have two speakers. I've heard some of my Atmos mixes on 35 speaker systems, right? Oh, that's gotta be and fun. Scalable. <laughs> so if you have if you have 100 speakers, I, I think the max actually might be 64. If you have 64 speakers, um, the system, the playback system, will use whatever speakers it thinks are best to recreate that experience in 3D. Yeah, right? it's a it's a smart smart software yeah smart it's a smart playback system so if you only have three speakers and there's a new box out the amazon echo studio is 3.1 it's three drivers and a subwoofer it will it will recreate your atmos mix using those speakers to the best of its abilities Hmm. and if you have you know preferably 7.1.4 and the the 0.4 is uh the, the last point is the number of speakers in the ceiling right right um then you atmos will automatically use that number of speakers yeah. So I hope that. I hope and that and when and when you're using yeah and when you're using that software too when you're talking about the panning for location it kind of it spatially it almost looks like a like a tennis court right yeah, yeah. So there's like these like little yellow balls that are your objects which is what you're tying yeah. your audio to so spatially when you're starting to build these things you start you start to see where everything relates to each other within a three dimensional space like a literal space environment with within uh, whatever you're working with. So your video environment, you can sort of create this space and you can see where everything resides, which I think is really awesome to sort of, even just from a philosophical level, think very clearly spatially within audio because really we don't have that otherwise, right? Yeah, we hear it and we kind of imagine this space in our heads, but I think that's kind of cool to be able to actually visually see where all these things are sort of moving in this this three-dimensional plane. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, (laughs) I think... um, in a, in a weird way, I think it, it's also it's as good for us as it is for the clients. Because when I've worked on Atmos projects, the clients love looking at the tennis balls on the screen. Oh, I'll bet. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great representation. But the, you know, the, the audio aspect of it, with or without the balls on the screen, is so, is so captivating that it's worth doing. You know? so one of the things we started doing at Dubway um, a couple of years ago, actually, um, was we started making podcasts using the software, which might sound odd. But, but we were using the software to create a binaural experience. So if you're wearing headphones, you get a very, very 3D audio experience of the sound. Mm. And I think that that's a place where um, immersive audio software can give something to the listener who doesn't have a lot of speakers. You'll get a, you'll get a better headphone experience. And that's, that's the goal right now. You know? So one of the things that I'm curious about with the immersive movement, you know, Dolby and, and anything else, I can't help but think about the way that consumers, general consumers, have not really adopted surround sound. And maybe yeah. this is just my opinion, but I, I feel like it's not really where we would have thought it would have been when it started to come into play in the 90s. I mean, we're yeah. 20 plus years from this thing's introduction to society. And if you don't go to a movie theater, um, you're probably not experiencing it. Yes, I understand there's a lot of people with surround sound systems in their homes, but for the most part, a lot of them aren't set up properly. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot of issues there. And, 
you know, just speaking from some people that I know that have them, they don't know how to even operate them. So half the time it's just stereo anyway. They don't really understand the technology. And to be fair, it's not all that simple. It's not incredibly intuitive. So now we're throwing in this other kind of experience, you know, when we really haven't totally, you know, adapted or adopted the 5-1 thing. So, you know, and, and I work, you know, in live television. It's funny because, you know, these, there's these broadcast trucks out there that are spitting out um, audio in 5.1 and 7.1 over TV. Most of the time it's just up mix. It's not actually there. But, like, the only people that ever really hear it are people in master control. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so, so that also brings another conundrum. I mean, there's a lot of speakers involved. Our theaters aren't even caught up yet. You yeah. know, most, most movie theaters are not caught up yet. There's a lot that needs to happen before this becomes not just popular, but just available, you know? Yeah. I mean, what do you no, think? I mean, is this going to be just another thing that just sort of every now and then you catch, but it's kind of, you know, not really what it was intended to be? Um, no, and I'll tell you why. Um, so I've, I've worked on a number of classical albums where we would make a stereo version and a 5.1 version. Mm-hmm. And the stereo version would be sold on CD or put on Apple Music or Spotify or Tidal. And the 5.1 version would be put on DVD video, mm-hmm. right? Or sometimes sold as a 5.1 FLAC file, depending on. But there were two different platforms, right? So we go through a separate process of making a separate piece of media for this other platform. The, um, the benefit of the immersive formats is that you make one mix that's scalable to wherever you're going to play it. Right. So even if nobody installs 5.1 in the next 10 years in their home, you'll, you'll make this one immersive audio mix that, should you have the opportunity to play it in headphones, sounds really different and better than just regular stereo. But when you play it in your stereo system, it sounds great at stereo. Mm. And you can play it on, play it on 5.1 or you can play it on 7.1. And you get, you get, you, you, it scales automatically up and down. Right. You know? Now, yeah, the consumer electronics companies... I think they're all looking at it, wondering whether to support it. And some companies have, and some companies haven't. But I think they're all right. slowly getting on board. But I, Sonos is I, making a good attempt with their sound bars, which is not yeah. really actually true, <laughs> true, true surround and true immersive. Anyway, it's all coming from a single source, using a lot of well, phase and kind of bouncing some things bar, around. But the sound bars are doing these psychoacoustic tricks to make things sound more dimensional than they are. Right. When I've heard the sound bars, they have upward and side firing drivers. So when you hear something panning with a sound bar, it jumps out at you in a way that's pretty exciting. Hmm. And that's, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like a gear salesman, but you can spend $400 at Best Buy or on Amazon and get something that will, will absolutely improve your TV viewing experience. Yeah. Right? You know, it's not a hard It's not a hard thing to do. So so I, I'm, I'm optimistic. But, you know, um, when I've taken mixes from the past and played them in, in studios. So I'll take a mix that I was really proud of and play it in a really great studio. Sometimes it can be disappointing because you realize that wasn't a great mix, right? No. Or, oh, I don't know what you mean. Or <laughs> it's not filling up the room, right? But when you make an Atmos mix, it will take advantage of all the resources of the playback system you're in. Yeah, that, right. and that in itself is amazing. I mean, that is yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah. They've even and so I, I made an Atmos mix. I played, I played one of my Atmos mixes in a, in a screening room with, with 35 speakers, and I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I thought, is this going to fall apart or be a disaster? And every single speaker in the room started to create something a little bit different, but everything was alive. Everything was on. Hmm. I didn't have to assign all those speakers, right? Yeah. And so I was really, I was really satisfied with that. I was, you know, it made me happy. I thought, okay, this is fun. This is great. That's awesome. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, and also we're on the production side of things. Um, so I don't want to be cynical, but what's really driving this, not on the consumer electronics side, but on the production side, are the spec sheets from content delivery networks, whether or not they want them. And if they do want them, then the producers are going to come to us, are going to come to you and me and say, okay, we need the mix in this format. And that's what's going to drive the industry to create these formats, whether or not the consumer adopts them. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, that's kind of been, <laughs> that's kind of the way tech works lately. Yeah. Tech yeah. companies say, you want this. You don't know, <laughs> but yeah. you're going you want to want this. Yeah. Very yeah. like, you know, Steve Jobsian, if you want to call it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nathaniel, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was super awesome to talk to you today. This is, uh, you know, uh, glad that you've you've created such an awesome career, and um, really appreciate all the generosity that that you show time and time again. Um, you're just one of the most generous people with your time and, and with your stories. So I'm glad you were able to share today, and hopefully get some people thinking about um, you know some places that they can go to, you know, within their career. Yeah, well, thank you for doing this, Adam. Yeah. Good series. And uh, there'll be more info on the site, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, if you want to catch yeah. up with Nathaniel, you can go to nathanielreichman.com uh, for more information there. I'll add that link in the description below. Um, but that's it really for this episode. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, please, please, please uh, take a moment and show your support. Uh, subscribe. Hit the like button. Give me a comment below. I'd love to hear what you think and what you'd like to hear from or who you'd like to hear from. Also, I would love for you to pick up your free guide and video, how to improve your workflow, adamclaremont.com slash workflow. Uh, those tips have gone um, to, to do my life wonders, um, and I just like to share it with you. So uh, until next time, thanks so much. I'm Adam Claremont. See you there.